0: So um, this morning I'm speaking on the Holy Spirit and, um, you know, I've been feeling a stirring of the Holy Spirit for several months now, you know, and maybe even into late last year and just, you know, to go deeper in the Holy Spirit and, um, you know, I want to see God really move here in our church, move through us, move through the worship. I mean, how amazing would it be to, to worship and people are healed and saved, and we see signs and wonders, I mean, it would just be incredible through, through us, through you and me, in our workplaces. You know, not because necessarily we need it. I mean, it would be, you know, it would increase our joy, and our peace, and our power, but because the world around us needs it. There are people out there that really need the power of God at work in their lives. And so, you know, in the Great Commission, or oh, I think the better word for it is the Great Partnership. We're empowered to be witnesses. And the point of the signs and wonders that I talked about is to lead people to Jesus. So let's read from Mark 16, verses 15 to 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Not they may, they will. And so in John fourteen twelve, Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father. So, where Jesus and his disciples went, signs and wonders accompanied them. They were signs to the people that what they were speaking about was the truth. In Acts 8, verse 6, listen to this the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. We want people to pay attention, don't we? We want people to pay attention to what we're saying, to what the church is saying. So today's message is called Be Filled. It's from Ephesians 5 verse 18, where Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want victory over your flesh, over sin, if you want to be effective in your Christian walk, if you want to have his power at work in your life, be filled and the cool thing about this word, which is kind of lost in the English translation, is that it is a present tense imperative verb. I love the English language. but <laughs> So present tense means this is not past tense. This is now. This is to be filled regularly and continuously. Keep being filled. And imperative means that it is not a suggestion. We need to keep regularly and continuously being filled. So this morning we're going to talk about what quenches the Holy Spirit or doesn't allow him to work and what encourages the Holy Spirit to work in our life. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, let us hear from you this morning in a really clear way. We invite you to speak and to move and to do whatever you want to do this morning. I bind every voice of the enemy that would seek to distract us from what you're saying. In Jesus' name. Amen. So who enjoyed conference? I really enjoyed conference, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on staff and I, you know, I, I, I lead the worship team. I'm not just saying that. Conference was so good. I, I went into conference feeling really tired and weary. And I came out of conference feeling energized and, you know, refired, And that wasn't because the music was good. I mean, it was good, right? It was really good music. And it wasn't because the speakers were amazing. They were, you know, they were amazing speakers. But it was the Holy Spirit that was working in us and among us. And he was working because we were hungry for him to do so. And we were reminded at conference that the early church was Pentecostal. They were filled with the Spirit. They spoke in tongues. There were signs and wonders. There were healings. At what we now call Pentecost, they gathered together, and tongues of fire appeared on their heads, and they spoke in other languages. So we're going to read that from Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then in verses 5 to 8, it goes on to say that the people around them, the people staying around them, took attention, so paid attention. So again, they took notice and they paid attention when they saw the Holy Spirit poured out. So people take notice when that happens. And as a result of this outpouring, there were salvations, signs and wonders, unity, generosity, exponential church growth. So amazing the Holy Spirit is. So And at conference, there were um, 25 impact kids, so that is um, the ages 11 to 13. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. I mean, so cool. The Holy Spirit is no respecter of age. He simply responds to hunger. And I was like a little bit jealous hearing that. You know, Tassi and I have been talking like, I want that for our sons. I want that for the youth in this church. Who's with me? I want them to be filled with the Spirit. And so Tassie and I have just committed to praying for that and going after that for, for our sons. And when I say, like, we're going after that, that doesn't mean we're trying so hard that he's going to do what we say. No, because we can't control God. It would be not good if we could control God, right? But I just mean that we are, we are really going in, we're hungry for it, and we're asking God. So we don't know when or how the Holy Spirit will show up, But there are things that we can do to encourage him to come and work. Things that attract his presence. And conversely, there are things that we can do that quench him and don't allow him to work. The Holy Spirit came as a fire at Pentecost. So quenching is about extinguishing a fire, putting out a fire. 1 Thessalonians 19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. And so we're going to talk about a few things that quench the Spirit. But before I begin, I just want to say that um, it's not to condemn us. It's never to condemn us. It's always just for you to listen to the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit who loves you so much and who wants you to grow. And we have all done these things from time to time. We all quench the Spirit at times because why? We're not perfect. We're sinful and we live on the side of eternity. So This morning, my um, encouragement is for you to listen to that gentle voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to condemnation. That is not God. But listen to that gentle nudge. So the first thing that quenches the Holy Spirit is sin. And sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And you may be thinking, well, how does that work? Because we all sin every day, right? We, We can't be perfect. But this is more talking about unaddressed habitual sin. So, you know, sin that uh, keeps going. We keep going around the same things and we don't address them. And our sin will be a consistent struggle in our lives, like I said, but it should not be an unchallenged habit. I may fall into sin, but I will not walk in sin. So grieving the Holy Spirit means to make him sad or sorrowful because the Holy Spirit is a person and he does two things for us that are significant. He gives us knowledge of sin, which is good, right? We need to know that. But he also gives us something else which is so important, and that is the power to overcome sin. That and is so important. We have power to overcome sin. And we know that verse in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. If you struggle with something, other people struggle as well. Never think that you're unique or alone, excuse me, in your struggle. You're not. People struggle with the same things. And God is faithful, and it says he will make a way of escape for you. So I'm going to talk about a few specific sins that quench the Holy Spirit. And the first one is the sin of unbelief. And we know that verse in Matthew 13 where he says Jesus was in his hometown And he could only do a few miracles. So he'd been doing miracles all around, traveling and and seeing things. But in his hometown, it says he could only do a few miracles because of the unbelief. A quote by Charles Finney. Now, Charles Finney was the leader in the second great awakening in the United States. And he said, unbelief is the rejection of what the spirit presents to our minds. Where the truth is presented and then resisted, there's unbelief. So unbelief is when you trust God, and you know, or you trust that He exists, but you're not sure He can do what He claims. And I'm sure we can all identify with that man in Mark nine. So he brought his son to be, um, to get a demon cast out of him, and he brought it to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't do it. And he would have been feeling pretty bad, right? I mean, we've all been there, where we've come believing and prayed for something, and it hasn't happened. And that's hard. So he comes to Jesus, and he says. If you can help me. And Jesus says, If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And the man says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Can we identify with him? Yep, I I definitely can. And we've all been there at times, but we must not stay there. So I read many helpful things and there's many resources out there to help overcome unbelief, but just a few things... Um, Was that, you know, read the word We've got to be reading the word Because reading the word feeds our faith And when you read what Jesus has done You know, it's just incredible And then recall what he's done for you Everyone in this room has had something done for them by Jesus I mean, salvation, right? That is a huge thing And then make a choice So read the word so that your faith increases Recall what he's done for you and then make a choice Because we always have a choice um, another sin that can grieve or quench the Holy Spirit is disunity. So that has consequences in the church, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, Paul says to the believers, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by bitterness, wrath, and anger, but be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. The Holy Spirit is the source of unity in the church. And when believers allow disunity to take root, we quench, the, we quench the work of the Holy Spirit. So stick around in church long enough and someone will annoy you, <laughs> aggravate you, offend you, and you will do the same <clears throat> to someone else, right? Because we're not perfect. It's going to happen. But the call to unity is a call to humility, forgiveness, and love. And it's not automatic. It requires intentional effort and action. In Act 4, Luke describes the unity that existed among the believers. So this was just after Pentecost, just after the outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit. And he says they were of one heart and soul, had all things in common, and there was great grace upon them. And this last sin that I just quickly want to talk about is the fear of man. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That's from Proverbs 29, 25. So when we fear anything but God, we're giving room for the Holy Spirit to be quenched. This is a big one. You know, what if the Holy Spirit asks you to step out and pray for someone at work? You know, what if you want to kneel in the worship, prophesy over someone at church, Don't let the fear of man stop you. We've got to fear God greater than we fear man around us. And you know, the good news with all of this is that when we confess our sins, God is gracious to forgive us all the time, right? Over and over. He's so good. Matthew 5.30 says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And this is obviously not literal. We're not going to go off cutting off our hands or, you know, gouging out our eyes. But, you know, just talking about how important it is to deal with sin. And confession and repentance are always a mark of a move of the Holy Spirit. God's power is released after a time of cleansing. And every great historical move of the Holy Spirit has this in common. And then, so we've got sin that quenches the Holy Spirit and those few specific sins. And then the second thing I want to talk about is called apathy. Who's heard of apathy? It's a funny word, yeah? And this means a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. So when we allow our spiritual walk with the Lord to become just about obedience, just going through the motions without the power of the Spirit, that's apathy. It breeds a lack of action. So you say, oh, I can't be bothered, and a lack of love. You go, oh, well, there's a tragedy happening over there, but I'm okay over here, so I'm not going to do anything. Apathy results in atrophy, you know, which is when your muscles waste away, your spiritual muscles. So we need to be moving in our Christian walk. James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So notice it's not that we don't know what to do, it's just that we don't do it. And apathy can be contagious. The whole church in Revelations 3 was apathetic. Revelations 3, 15 to 16 said, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. So then because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So as always, there's good news. You know, there are remedies for apathy, and we've all been there at some point in our lives. And so to address apathy, we need nourishment, you know, time spent in God's presence. And if you need to start with just little steps in each of these areas, then then do so. We need exercise, which is our spiritual disciplines. It's I can't stress it enough how important that we keep reading the word. We keep praying. We keep meeting with other believers. And action. Luke 12, the story of the faithful steward. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing. Taking action. So... Just as there are things that quench and grieve the Spirit, there are things that invite Him. This is the exciting part, church. You know, when we give God just a little, He comes, you know, He meets us fully. And I love that. He's so gracious and eager to fill us and to meet with us. And the number one thing that the Holy Spirit responds to is hunger. You know, when a child is hungry, what do they do? They go and ask an adult. They ask them for food. And when we're hungry, what do we do? We go and get some food. We go to the kitchen. We cook ourselves something. So it's asking and taking action. You know, our Father loves to respond to us when we ask him. Hunger is the landing strip of the Holy Spirit. You think about an airplane, thinking, where am I going to land? Hunger, you know, hunger will set you apart and let the Holy Spirit land on you. So invite him. Ask him into your life. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the Spirit means you yield completely to his working. And you know, the word tells us, as we've already seen this morning, that speaking in tongues is a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, 4, it says, they began to speak in tongues. And that word means it carried on. So they carried on. It was the start of something. And also in Acts 10, Peter speaks about the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles. So this was very new. You know, before then, it was you know a ministering to Jewish people. But now it was the Gentiles. And again, speaking in tongues was a sign, an outward sign that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles. And I want to spend just a little time here talking about tongues, because um, I had a bit of a funny experience with it um, when I was younger. And, you know, we don't hear a whole lot about it from the front. We know it exists, and we know people um, operate in the spiritual gift, but um, don't hear a whole lot about it. And um, when I was um, 18, I think I've shared here before, I grew up as an Anglican, so it's a little bit different, a little bit more conservative, you know, and, and When I was 16, I wanted more. I wanted to, you know, that relationship with God. I wanted to feel the Holy Spirit. And so I moved away to a different church. And in this church, there was a big youth camp. So I went away and I got baptized. I've I've shared before, I just fully clothed, jumped into the pool. Not not jumped, I, I walked in. But, you know, I was fully clothed. I was just hungry for God. And I went in and got baptized. But the night before that, so I just did it backwards. But that's okay. A night before that, there um, was worship, and I remember the song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and I lifted my hands because you don't do that in the Anglican church, and I was like, you know, like my hands are up, and I felt really good, and I was hungry for God, and then they called people forward who wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to go forward because I'm hungry for God, and so I went forward, and they prayed, and then they, you know, they were like, just start speaking. And I was like, speaking what? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I didn't have any concept. And then, um, you know, they took us aside to, you know, anyone who didn't speak in tongues come to the side. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know. So, we went to the side and uh, still didn't speak in tongues, you know, even. But that's okay. You know, I got it right a bit later. But that's why I wanted to talk about it, because, you know, maybe you don't know what it is. And I didn't know what it was, but... um. It is a spiritual gift. So we read about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, that would be a great place to go and study the word. And I, I, I put on uh, Radio Rema the other day, and Joyce Meyer said something that caught my attention, and she said, teaching only becomes revelation for you when you go away and study it for yourself. So I encourage you to go away and, and study what I say and uh, you know, test it against the word. You know, when you pray in tongues, your spirit is in direct contact with God, provides a way for you to pray about things that you'd not even think to pray about or are aware of. You know, when we go to pray and we all do this, we go to pray and we have our, our biases, you know, what we think. And, and sometimes we pray out of what we think should happen or a solution that we, we think we, you know, would be a good idea, God, can, can you do this, you know? And the Holy Spirit Praying in tongues kind of circumvents that because we pray in in line with the will of God. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. And edify means to instruct or benefit morally and spiritually. How cool is that? The Holy Spirit instructs us and benefits us through speaking in tongues. And Paul encouraged believers to desire spiritual gifts. So it's good to desire these things. And Paul used it extensively in his own prayer and worship times. In verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I guess why I'm speaking about it as well is because I haven't used this gift in my life to its full its full potential or extent because I grew up Anglican and it was, it was really different and I was really stirred at conference, you know, for more of God and to use tongues as a means to have more of the Holy Spirit operating in my life. And so there, there are those of you this morning who have been filled in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Well, my word for you today is be filled continuously and regularly, like a phone top up, Right? You need to keep topping up, keep paying your phone bill, keep keep topping up with the Holy Spirit. Are you drawing on his help every day? He's your aid, your ally, your comforter, your intercessor. Reverend Tim McConnell says, Although the Holy Spirit has pursued us from the very beginning, and we have yielded to his offerings, there is always more of him to experience. But just maybe some of us have settled for so much less than what God has planned for us to have. And like I said before, when we're hungry, we go and get some food. If we're really hungry, we don't go and take a little nibble of bread, right? We take a whole plate of food and that satisfies our hunger. We don't take a nibble and expect to feel full and empowered and energized because it doesn't work that way. And how much of the Holy Spirit we have in our lives is up to us? We choose. You know, very little happens with God automatically. If you and I desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to ask and take action. And sometimes you may feel like I I was feeling um, in the months before, you know, just feeling that discontent. You know, not satisfied with the status quo. Just wanting more. And that can be the Holy Spirit drawing you. You know, he's drawing you closer. You're feeling discontent. Hunger is an active state. It results in you seeking out the object of your desire that will satisfy your need. Hunger results in motion. So my hunger for the Holy Spirit is causing me to do things, take action. Tass and I have been praying more together getting on our knees together, asking him to increase in us and increase in our sons, what we spend time on will flourish. And we, you know, often we want to take the shortcuts. We want to be like, just fill me, Holy Spirit. You know, two minutes, let's get on with my life. But sometimes it takes time, time in his presence So hunger and apathy are completely different sides of the coin. So, you know, if you want to counter against apathy, ask God to fill you with hunger again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Say it with me. Shall be filled. Say it again. (laughs) Yeah, no ifs or buts. Right? You shall be filled if you hunger and thirst. So are you hungry for the Holy Spirit? You know, I want to be someone and for this church to be a place that is just overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Not only will we increase in joy and in peace and in power, and we'll see the breakthroughs that we're asking for, but the world around us will be impacted. The community of Parnell will take notice when the Holy Spirit starts to move here. Just like in those verses in Acts, people took notice, and I want our community to take notice. So I'm just going to invite the worship team to come up. And this morning, I want to open up the altar, and our prayer team is ready for several different things. Um, If you don't speak in tongues and you'd like to, you know, you can come forward. You know, maybe you're feeling a bit apathetic, You've lost your joy and enthusiasm for the things of God and you just want to come up and ask God to fill you afresh with hunger. That's a prayer he will answer. Maybe you want a time of confession and repentance up on the altar. Or maybe you're just hungry and you're just wanting more of the Holy Spirit is the landing strip of the Holy Spirit, and you're just wanting to say, here I am. And anyone who just wants to, for any reason, you know, if you want to declare the fear of man no longer has a hold on me, I'm coming forward to declare that, then you can come. Nobody else needs to know why you've come forward. So why don't we stand, church?